And we are live right now on the Conversations That Matter podcast with pastors Sean McGowan and Zachary Garris, both PCA pastors. They explained what happened last year at the Presbyterian Church in America's uh, annual meeting. Uh, they call their, uh, was it, what's it called again? General Conference? Was it, that's, that's the Mormon thing. What, what do you guys call yours? General Assembly. General Assembly. I was close. Um, so you're, you're going to talk a little bit today for those who are listening who are in the PCA about what's going on. I know, Sean, you're also, I, I think it's worth ma- mentioning, a trustee at Covenant College. Um, and then, uh, Zach, uh, you actually run the publishing company that I published my last book through. Um, so people can check both of you out. Uh, if you go to Twitter, it's um, at Zachary Garris and at Irish Presby, at Irish Presby. Uh, if you want to check out Sean's stuff, uh, anywhere else you want to send people? Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, let's jump into it then. I appreciate both of you guys. We've been, we've known each other, I guess, uh, for years. I've actually met you now in person, Zach, and we spent some time together. Sean, that still needs to happen at some point. We need to connect face to face. Um, But, uh, but you guys were both together yourselves last week, I guess. So during the Southern Baptist Convention, I guess the PCA met. It's like every convention met that week uh, or every, uh, every denomination. Um, and so you met uh, together in, was it in Tennessee? Uh, Memphis, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what happened? Yeah, well, uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll jump out first, Zach. Um, you know, it was a, I will say this, at least from my perspective, it was less contentious than probably the last two. Uh, you know, not as much tension in the room. Um, uh, it's, it was the 50th anniversary uh, of the Presbyterian Church in America. Um we, uh, we began in 1973. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of celebration, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of things like that that were going on. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a celebratory year. Um, and there wasn't as much kind of, you know, attention going on. Um, so anyway, all that to say, you know, it was, it was pretty celebratory. Um, you know, maybe one of the first things to talk about, one of the first things that happens is the election of a moderator every year. Um, and it alternates between, uh, you know, a teaching elder and a ruling elder. Uh, so this year it was a, uh, a teaching elder, a pastor, uh, that would be the moderator. Um, and moderators really, you know, they don't give their own, uh, they don't give their own personal opinions or anything like that. They really are there to make sure the meeting is run efficiently, proper procedures, good process, um, or good order. Um, all of those things, but they do have some responsibilities. Like if there's a study committee that's formed, they appoint who's on it. Uh, if there's a commission, and that happened this year, they would appoint who's on the commission. You okay with your audio there, Sean? I think so. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. It sounded like <laughs> something ran over your microphone for a second. Sorry, there. Yeah, it was, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, um, I may, I may need to take over here. No, no, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I don't have those cool headphones. But, uh, uh, so the thing that a moderator can do is they can appoint people to a study committee or if there's a commission and in this assembly, there was a commission appointed. So uh, he will be the one to appoint that. And this year they elected uh, teaching elder Fred Greco, uh, Christ Church from Katy, Texas. Um, he did a great job. I mean, he, he he knows how to run an efficient assembly and it clearly showed. Um, in fact, one point someone made a motion to ask if he could be moderator for life and Greco responded rightly that it was out of order uh, to ask that question. So, but it was good. Um, so that was one of the first things. 
Um, maybe just some some highlights of some broader topics. Um, some of the actions taken included uh, issues of, uh, um, revolving accountability. Um, so there was one overture to, to basically hold some of our permanent agencies and committees um, of the assembly more accountable um, by making sure, you know, they're operating according to uh, the desire of the assembly. So there was an overture that was basically trying to bring more accountability to our permanent committees and agencies. You think like, uh, you know, like, uh, like Covenant College, Covenant Seminary, um, you know, our missions agencies, mission to North America, mission to the world. So uh, trying to, to make sure that they are uh, more accountable to the assembly. Um, so that was, a, I think that was a, a good thing that passed. Um, probably John, let's just, let's say a quick word, just so, just so people understand, overtures are um, <clears throat> written by, uh, well, a church would, would start it, if it goes through the presbytery, if they approve it, it goes up to the general assembly. So it's asking the, requesting the general assembly to do something. And so um, churches or, or even individual teaching elders, which are pastors, can also send them. So, so it's just part of our polity. I, just, just so listeners understand exactly yeah. what an overture is, because yeah. that's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss a variety of overtures here that were on the floor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you. Um, so another thing, I think this probably was a was a big one as well. Is uh, just to explain it a little bit. There's something called RPR, which is the Review of Presbytery Records, and basically these are uh, these are elders that are appointed by presbyteries to to basically go for a few days and review presbytery records. Each presbytery is supposed to keep minutes, um, and those are reviewed by the higher court, which would be the assembly. And basically what they're looking for is, is there any, you know, irregularities? Um, sometimes there's uh, exceptions of substance, which could be something like, you know, uh, an ordination commission was, was not uh, properly, there weren't enough people on it, or it wasn't wasn't uh, executed properly or something like that. So they look for those things. And this is where you start to really see if make sure presbyteries are in accordance with our standards, right? Our, our, our confession catechisms and the book of church order. Um, and this year, RPR actually uh, cited a recommended citing uh, Metro New York Presbytery. Metro New York Presbytery is basically like, you know, around New York city, basically. Um, I'm just going to read it. They, they cited or they recommended citing Metro New York Presbytery with an exception of substance, which would require them to respond to next year's assembly to this concern. But also they recommended referring this matter to the SJC for a possible censure. And the issue was that a congregation in Metro New York Presbytery invited a woman to preach uh, on the Lord's Day. Oh, my. So this is the same issue that... Southern Baptists and, and some other denominations are dealing with. Yeah. So, so what they did was that they, they called it a Bible study. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a preach, you know, preaching a proclamation of the word. It was a Bible study, which, which added further kind of headache to it because basically what they were saying was that the word was not proclaimed, but then the sacrament of the Lord's supper was, yeah. was administered. I, I am saddened by this, by the way, that's not why I'm wiping my eye right now. I <laughs> just, for some reason, uh, my eyes, uh, some, something irritated it. So I just wanted to explain that. But it, it looks to everyone else like I'm weeping over this uh, this degradation of yeah, this, the pulpit this in New was York actually, City. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, we should mention, I think there were also some weeks where they, Sundays where this church uh, 
had no preaching and still had the the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so you had multiple offenses, but but this was a, a woman. Uh, I think she's a well-known woman, Episcopalian pastor, Fleming Rutledge, I think is her name. Oh, Fleming so she, Rutledge, I know who that is. Yeah, she's from Virginia. way out there. So yeah. she she went to this church in in New York. They they had her preach, and I guess they even posted it on their website initially as a sermon, and then they corrected it. Um, so the, the, the problem here is the Presbytery didn't do anything. They didn't, they should have disciplined the church mm-hmm. and they didn't. And so that's why the review, uh, RPR review of Presbytery records is citing the Presbytery. Um, and it's so egregious that they're actually, they, they recommended it to the general assembly, which just met to send it to the SJC, which is the uh, standing judicial committee. It's, it's a commission. Uh, it's essentially uh, a, a, was created. It's like the Supreme Court of the PCA. It was created uh, in the 90s, I think. And uh, so, so they're going to hear the case and they're you know, probably going to discipline the Presbytery in some capacity. Yeah. So, so they, they're a commission. They can act. They, they basically stand in place of the whole assembly uh, basically hearing the trial. I mean, instead of, you know, 2,200 commissioners, you know, listening to uh, a case or something like that, they appoint, I forgot how many are on there, but they appoint like men. 20, 20 something. Yeah, they appoint men that basically represent the <clears throat> assembly and can act for the assembly as a commission. Um, so, so this is going to go before the assembly, and it will be a trial, and um, the presbytery will be able to to defend themselves, uh, and um, and then there'll be a decision made, and assume, presumably some censure will come down. Um, I, I I have heard, and I'm not trying to you know spread false information, but I have heard that this church may be looking to leave the, uh, the PCA. So if that happens and they're no longer under the Presbytery's jurisdiction, I don't know what can, can really come about, but, um, yeah, they had Fleming Rutledge there. I'm surprised they're even in the PCA to be honest. Well, you, you have had churches leave the PCA that have wanted women pastors, preachers, whatever. Um, you know, that happens. I mean, she's a, a feminist theologian though. I mean, she's, yeah. She, she, I think she's done commentaries on, on various books of the Bible, but, but I, I just remember from years ago, um, Southeastern had, uh, Michael Bird, you know, who Michael Bird is, and he was telling, uh, Walter Strickland in this podcast at Southeastern that, uh, he makes all his students read Fleming Rutledge because they need the womanist perspective. And, and I'm like, who's this Fleming Rutledge? And I started looking into her and I'm like, oh my goodness, she's way out there. Mm. So all that to say, if they're, I mean that's PCUSA territory. I think you're you're getting close to once you start doing that. Episcopalian, um, yeah, that's that's pretty liberal usually. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think looking at this in my mind is like it's you know what I mean. This is how our system works. I mean this is a good thing. It was cited. It was caught by the RPR Review of Presbytery Records, and it's it's going through the process that it should. It's going to be recommended to uh, to the Standing Judicial Commission, and there'll be a trial um, and possible censure. Uh, what that will be, you know, uh, we don't know yet, but, um, but this is good. I mean, this is how our polity works and, um, I think it will be for the benefit of the church. So is it like the SBC where there's, uh, supposedly, uh, numerous churches that they say, I think close to 2000, but they, there's all these churches that are, um, having women preach at various times or have women's on staff who are pastors and then Saddleback becomes like the example or the test case. Is it like that, or is this just really a fluke? 
Now, th this does happen some. I, I don't think this is the only example. Um, I have I've heard of other churches, as I you know, alluded to, that have already left over, you know, they had a woman preacher and one church was brought up on charges by the presbytery and then the church left. So, I mean, that's good, though, is, you know, we're saying, hey, you don't belong in the PCA. That's not our rules. And you can go join, you know, uh, the EPC or ECHO or one of these, you know, egalitarian denominations. Right. And uh, you're welcome to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Was this the first uh, PCA meeting or without Greg Johnson? Yeah, this was. Yeah. Uh, there's been a few uh, high profile guys that are that are no longer in the PCA or uh, we're certainly at the very least not at this assembly. Um, but yeah, this is the first one since uh, Johnson and Memorial has, has left the PCA. And no Keller either. This is the first one without him, right? Uh, well, he, from, at least I have not seen him at, at the assemblies I've been at. I don't think he's attended, uh, the last few because of, because of health his issues, uh, health yeah. issues and things like that. But certainly the, certainly one where he's not, you know, he's either not, you know, broadcasted on the screen and, 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 uh, gives a message or something like that. Like he did the year prior. Um, so who yeah. leads the, the, if you would, the more progressive for lack of a better term wing of the PCA that the, uh, national partnership is that scott Sauls? Who, who's behind that now Sauls is uh I, I believe was involved with the national partnership um but the, i mean a lot of the maybe more progressive leaders aren't that well known frankly i mm -hmm. think is probably how i would uh put it gotcha yeah so but their, their presence is still there then they haven't been routed because Keller's not around and Greg Johnson isn't there anymore. And not that Keller, Keller was never part of the, just so everyone knows he was never part as far as I know of that national partnership, but he, he's identifiably right. though, one of the people who, who did help push things kind of to the left. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, clearly more progressive minded people within the PCA, you know, uh, but uh, it, I mean, they have, Obviously, there's some groups, but sometimes it's just uh, along ideologies and, and just different views of, I mean, some of the things we'll get into here, like, uh, uh, you know, deaconesses or things like that, which which Keller did, you know, push. But um, yeah, I would you know, say, uh, John, I would say that, it, you know, from my experience, and it's 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 limited, uh, my attendance at GA, but um, I would say that there's been a conservative trajectory over the last few years, um, or if you go back to the, to the, you know, 2010 onward to 2019, I mean, there was clearly more of a progressive presence. I mean, even watching this, if you weren't there, you could see that. And, um, it seems to me that, you know, there's a lot more young, uh, conservative minded men in the PCA that are, that are coming through the ranks. Um, and I mean, quite frankly, you know, I think a lot more ruling elder involvement, um, that that is, is is pushing the assembly in a more conservative uh, direction. I think so. It seems, the, and so people understand the difference between teaching and ruling. The ruling elders haven't necessarily gone to seminary. They're not the paid on staff preaching every week pastors, right? They're, right. They're so lay. yeah, they're they're lay elders in a sense. Right. So just just a brief word there. The PCA comes out of the Southern Presbyterian Church, which uh, held to uh, two office view, which is that there's just elders and deacons. 
but that there's a distinction within the office of elder or two orders, sometimes they call it. So you have the teaching elder, which is often called a pastor, and then the ruling elders. So they're all elders. They all are on the session and vote. Um, but, well, the pastor, the teaching elder is usually the moderator. Um, but they, they, so they all rule, but one focuses on teaching. So that's First Timothy 517. Um, so uh, I got to defend the two office polity a little bit there. But uh, the, the northern church, like the OPC, I think they're three office in practice. Um, so we're a little bit different there. Someone does ask, what is the national partnership? So um, I just kind of threw that out there for the uninitiated. Isn't that kind of like a, a, an email chain, for lack of a better term for it, that it, it's a network that basically formed around this email chain and they, they tend to push things more in the progressive direction? Yeah. Okay. I, Sean, I, th I think they were a little more formal that, than that in, in, in some capacity, but the email thing was more secretive and then that came up you know more there in the open leaks. a couple yeah. years ago right yeah. and and right. as far as like who to vote for and things like that and so that was kind of yeah there were an end to that. yeah yeah there there was you know i don't know too much if there was more i don't know if there were you know group chats and things like that going on during the assembly but they certainly had a an email chain where they were pushing you know more of a progressive agenda they were giving recommendations on who to who to vote for um you know, at times maybe saying not so nice things about the other, uh, the other candidate, the more conservative one. Um, you know, there, there was stuff that came out in those emails where they were calling um, certain presbyteries, national partnership presbyteries, uh, trying to gain more men to come into the fold that were uh, in those presbyteries. So you could have, you know, the majority of your presbytery in the national partnership. So there was this uh, really this caucusing to, um, to, to get certain things, um, you know, implemented in the PCA. Um, but after that email leak, I mean, I think it really depleted the whole, the whole national partnership movement. Um, so it's not to say that there aren't, you know, progressively minded men, but, um, but that, that push has certainly, um, I think waned a little bit because of that exposure. Um, so. And just, just so people understand the polity, we have the individual churches and they have a session of, you know, with their elders. Then you have a presbytery, which is like a regional body and of, of churches. And the teaching elders or pastors are actually members of the presbytery, not of their churches. And then above that, you have the general assembly. We don't have synods, which would be in between. And so so that's why it's, it's kind of like this federal system, you know, um, where you have the presbyteries are kind of like states. And so they can differ some in, in their practices. Um, you know, if that helps, analogy helps kind of make sense of Presbyterianism. Yeah, we, we, every time we, we have you on for this uh, summary of what happened, we'll probably have to re-explain all that <laughs> for everyone. Just That's all right. It's, Zach it's good. Our, Zach is our translator. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I, I think there's more that you wanted to share, right? Uh, yeah, as as let, me just, let me move on with some of this quick stuff. Like, you know, we have, we have nominations every year, and those are important. Uh, where we nominate men to permanent agencies and committees. Um, you know, very, I, I can't you know, stress the importance of having good, you know, solid men on these agencies and committees because they really, in many ways, uh, can, they're the face of the denomination. Um, so, you know, we want to put good men on, uh, you know, boards. We want to put good men on the, the committees and the agencies. So, uh, we have a nominating committee every year that, that nominates um, men that are recommended from their presbyteries. 
Uh, and I think overall this year it was a good nominating um, season, and there were good men that were elected to uh, our committees and agencies. So that's that's good news, uh, I think, all the way around. Um, a couple things about the sexuality issues. There were a few overtures that were passed uh, by the assembly from last year that asked to amend the BCO, the, our Book of Church Order, um, to include more qualifications for, for officers in the church. Uh, and remember from last year, I said those had to get approval from at least two thirds of the presbyteries, and then they would be voted again. Um, they would be voted on again by this year's general assembly. Um, right. So, it, which only needs 50%, by the way. Right. So assembly, 50%, presbyteries, two thirds, and then uh, back to the assembly for 50%. Right. That's but right. let's, let's point out overture 15, which we discussed last year failed, right. which was very specific on basically forbidding a, an officer uh, describing himself, is that right? Describe, yeah, uh, describing himself uh, as a homosexual. Right. So that failed, you know, and there are different arguments against it or whatever. But these these overtures with broader language, which Sean can um, tell us about, they they passed and they passed, I think, pretty overwhelmingly. Yeah. Let me just read. So the first one was overture twenty nine. It was to amend BCO chapter sixteen by adding uh, 16.4 regarding qualifications for church office. Okay, these are the officers of the church. And this is what is this is what passed. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. While office bearers will see spiritual perfection only in glory, they will continue in this life to confess and to mortify remaining sins in light of God's work of progressive sanctification. Therefore, to be qualified for office, they must affirm the sinfulness of fallen desires, the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, and be committed to the pursuit of spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions. So when the stated clerk tallied all the presbyteries, and some of them, you know, at least when he tallies them, don't get their votes in, um, but the stated clerk reported that 79 presbyteries passed that and only one voted against it. And it was um, approved at this year's General Assembly almost unanimously. So that will actually be now put into our Book of Church order. Um, there was another one, Overture 31. I don't have the language. I'm sorry. But it was basically amending uh, BCO 21 and 24 regarding qualifications for ordination. So the first one was regarding qualifications for church officers. And the other one was regarding ordination or the ordination process um, and the examination of an, of an ordination candidate. And that passed 77 to three in the presbyteries. Uh, and it was again voted on this year and passed almost unanimously by the assembly. So that will be put into our BCO as well. Um, so those were two from last year. And then this year there was one, Overture 23, and that's to amend BCO 8.2 and 9.3. And it, it essentially speaks to the, the sexual purity and chastity of uh, church officers. Uh, and this is what the language says. It requires officers, both elder and deacon, to conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity in his description of himself. Am I still here? Did I, did I lose y'all? Yeah, you're there. You're there. Okay. I, I was just you. You were oh, okay, making okay. such good points. I didn't want my people bad. to be distracted I'm by sorry. Zach and my faces. You so get the whole just... screen, Sean. Hey, man, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> um, so I'll go back. It requires officers, both elder and deacon, to uh, conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity 
in his description of himself, his convictions, his character, and his conduct. And um, that passed this year's assembly with the vote of 1673 to 223. So that that now goes to the presbyteries for for a vote. So, and of course, the implication of that would be. Um, that church officers must communicate their, their struggle with sin uh, within biblical, biblical categories. Um, but, you know, again, this all goes back to the question of, I, I think enough is there, um, but the question of will sessions and presbyteries implement uh, these things is a, is a different question, quite frankly. So, um, so the more narrow language of, you know, forbidding an officer from describing or identifying himself as homosexual. We, we don't have that language in our BCO. I mean, I think our standards, Westminster larger catechism uh, would apply there, but um, we don't have that in our standards to deal with side B, but the hope is that this sufficiently does uh, because of this language of his description of himself. Right. So I, I, I would hope this could be used if someone, if an officer was saying, I'm a gay Christian or a homosexual Christian or whatever, that we could use this and uh, discipline him. Or disqualify well, him from, from. Right. Being. Well, right. That, like, call him to repentance. And then if he doesn't, yeah, I mean. We were talking off camera about this a little with the, the PCA. It seems like that's been the major struggle. Uh, the one that's taken the headlines over the last, I don't know, five years is this side B theology revoice um, soft peddling homosexuality as this orientation that's not innately sinful that you can participate in, but you, you, you can't take a, a physical action in, but you can, you can participate in the sense of uh, having uh, attractions and that kind of thing. So th this has been condemned and it seems like at least for the last three or two PCAs, uh, the two before this, there were overtures passed that, um, did provide that stronger language to condemn that kind of thing. And, and then it, it goes to get approved by the presbyteries and it seems like they don't pass. They don't make it, but they'll, they'll make it at the general assembly. So, um, I mean, what's, do you feel like, I guess, progress was made, even though you didn't get the mo the more aggressive language this year? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this one, this one, Obviously, still has to go to the presbyteries. I, right. I don't. The... <laughs> I, I don't foresee too many problems. I mean, this was a crushing vote um, in favor of it. I, I don't think it should be very controversial, and it it does seem some men voting against some of these other overtures. They just really have a, a problem of putting specific, you know, condemning a specific sin in the BCO, and so they like a little bit of this broader language. Now, I, I guess in some sense, this might actually even be more useful because people are creative in some of the uh, things, bad things they do. So, um, you know, like who was describing themselves as a gay Christian, you know, 20 years ago? I don't know. So so some of this broad language might might actually be useful. Yeah. I mean, now they say same sex attracted. The language keeps shifting. Right, right. They don't even say gay Christian anymore. It's It's basically the same thing, though. Um, all right. So, uh, so, so you're positive about that. Um, it, it sounds like, I mean, you, you voted for accountability for disciplining, uh, this a church that, uh, had a, a woman come and preach and then, or at least that's, that's in process of, of potentially going into effect. And then you have these, uh, this qualifications, 
these qualifications uh, come through. Um, I mean, can I just say one thing about the, so, you know, I'm sure, well, I I won't say that. I'll I'll just say this, you know, the debate around uh, the RPR and, and, and having Metro New York go to the stand before the SJC was, was not a debate that people stood up and said, well, we, you know, we think, you know, women should be preaching and this is, we need to change our polity and all this stuff. The, the, the people that spoke out against it were saying, actually, we should, we should allow the presbytery to, to, to take action first before we go to the, before they go to the SJC, give them an opportunity to, to, you know, handle this on their own, you know, figure this out and, and, and discipline the way they need to. The argument against that was, well, the presbytery already had an opportunity and they failed to adequately discipline. So that was really what the debate was around. The debate wasn't around the merits of a woman preaching as if that's a, you know, that's a good thing or we should have more of that or something like that. So that should give you some insight about what, you know, where there was pushback. So in other words, a majority of the assembly voted that this was such an egregious violation or failure on the presbytery's part to discipline this that they that this the presbytery should go straight to the SJC and be disciplined so yeah I mean that's that that just shows you you know that was a good move I think by the presbytery but you can see why there would be some opposition to that so so you pretty much uh would say that the more conservative wing got everything they wanted maybe with the exception of just a little stronger language on the the revoice stuff well, if, as far as the assembly goes, no, we got, I mean, I don't think there was anything that went poorly. This was, okay. this was kind of the, I think, you know, th- there's back and forth on how to craft the overture addressing the side B stuff. And this is, this is what, you know, the overtures committee, they had a few options before them and they decided this is the one they wanted to go with. So um, this is supposed to be the best is the, the, the consensus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but there so, are other things we can discuss here. Uh, but go ahead, John. Yeah, if, if that know. passes though. That that's the first like. So so this would be the the uh, governing uh, I guess language that would then be can be used potentially to discipline churches who are in that revoice theology camp. Well, no, go we ahead. did already. We passed the one we mentioned, uh, Overture Twenty Nine. That that was from last year. So so when the assembly voted in favor of that this year, that's that's going into the BCO. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that that is good. It's requiring you know uh, progressive sanctification and some of these things. So actually, that could be used against side B. But we with the GA, the General Assembly, saying we still want another overture on description. Yeah, it's so, right. so we're yeah. still trying another one. Yeah. yeah. So the way it works, when you, you vote on it there, it goes to the presbyteries for uh, ratification, and then it comes back to you the next year to vote on again? Yes. So you yeah, vote on it twice. Confirm it. Yep, yeah. exactly. Okay, no wonder things move slow. <laughs> so, Presbyterian. So the first, yeah, so the first, two, <laughs> the first two that I read have already passed. They're, they're, going into the, they're going into our Book of Church order, and they can be yeah. used um, now. So the last one that I read about um, you know, the chastity – uh, and in his in his description of himself, his convictions, character, and conduct, um, they need to conform to the biblical requirement of chastity and sexual purity. That was a new one voted on for the first time this year, and now is going to the presbyteries. But gotcha. um, yeah, so I think if we have this one, I mean, you know, again, I'm one of those guys that thinks we have everything already we need in our standards. 
the confession, the catechisms, and our BCO. But I don't mind, you know, refining it and making it more particular and stronger, um, since clearly we, you know, we need to. So, but I think, yeah, I think, I think this is a, a good trajectory for sure. Um, so it sounds like PCA is much healthier than the SBC, as far as yeah, I think that so. way, given what happened at the, you know, with the SBC and, and everything that's going on, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, that's interesting to me because I, I thought. I mean, if you go back seven years, five years, whatever, um, when Greg Johnson was starting his stuff and, uh, you know, there, there was the, I, it just seemed to me like it was so slow, the reaction to it. And it seems so obvious. Um, he's out now and, and now there's language that addresses that subject. But so you, you part of this though, is what you're saying is that, um, it's just the way Presbyterians are. It takes a long time to get when, when there's a new threat, you can't immediately respond to it, at least uh, on a, um, uh, on the level that you need to, as, as far as putting language into your governing documents and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I would well, say, I would say also though, that the, the whole Greg Johnson situation um, woke a lot of people up um, and drove more people uh, to, to be, to be more active Um you know, in their churches and their presbyteries and, and in the general assembly. Um, and I think just the, the, the growth of a lot of, um, or the, the introduction of a lot of new young, um, conservative confessional ministers, uh, that have come into the PCA in the last few years. Um, I think all of that is, uh, is included in kind of where it is today. What do you attribute that to the, the more younger, ones that seem to be more conservative. What do you think, Zach? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think maybe it's some of it's a generational thing. Um, just, I mean, what we've grown up with a little more hostile culture. And I think maybe some of the younger ministers um, just have responded to it in a firm way. Um, I don't know. And I, could, I mean, maybe some of the seminary education. I think uh, yeah, Greenville I Greenville Seminary has been been uh, growing, and they're you know they're uh, firmly confessional, um, yeah. solid place. So yeah, I think there's a growing love for the you know uh, for the confession too, and you know a lot of young guys are uh, you know love the confession and, and believe that it's a it's a it's a summary, it's a faithful summary of what the scripture teaches, and. Um, you know, they recognize the, the that our church is a confessional church and want to make sure that we maintain fidelity to that. Um, Maybe historical retrieval, Sean, where, um, I mean, I think more people are reading, um, uh, you know, the Puritans. I mean, the Westminster Assembly was essentially a Puritan body. Um, yeah. So so reading the Puritans, reading the Reformers and, you, you know, so. Those guys were pretty conservative. Yeah, <laughs> and, you're, yeah, and you're, you know, you're having, you know, correlating to this, you're having a lot more reproductions of older works too that mm -hmm. people are getting their hands on, like with, you know, Reformation heritage books and, and some of those places that are reproducing a lot of these you know, wonderful, rich uh, Puritan works and even some old, you know, um, old Presbyterian works and things like that. I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of those things are contributing to it. Um, so you're seeing a lot of, you know, you're seeing a lot of those men that are steeped in those things, younger men that are coming in, being ordained, and, and they're having a say. 
uh, at the assembly and in their presbyteries. Yeah, I'm encouraged by that across denominations. Uh, I was actually with some Lutherans a few weeks ago, and, and I, I, there's some young Lutherans who, same thing, their Missouri Synod's not exactly controlled by conservatives. Um, they, would all, they would all say they're conservative, but uh, there, there's, you know, if you want to say authentically conservative people or, or based people uh, who are younger uh, want to uh, have influence, exert influence, and they, they're not afraid of power as much, it, it seems like. Um, they're, uh, and I think what you just said about reading older guys, that's just more, I'm hearing more and more of that. Uh, Stephen was telling me, Stephen Wolf, and he is in the PCA, um, a few weeks ago, uh, that he, he thinks younger guys are rediscovering kind of this scholastic tradition, the reformers, uh, they're now applying those things to the present situations. And it's, it's like we went through almost like a dark ages that we didn't realize we went through where we were, uh, I don't know if this applies to the PCA as much, but I know in, in Baptist circles and, and in broadly evangelical circles, it seems like people just weren't interested in applying, let, let's say something like even what, what's the role of the civil magistrate, let, applying, uh, the rich tradition we have to that. They, they it's like, you know, we have soteriology, Calvinism, and, and maybe, you know, we have things on eschatology and baptism and that's about it. Right. All the other stuff that these people wrote about didn't really matter. And, and now that we're asking all these questions, uh, political and social questions, um, it seems like younger people are now finding this old gold. Um, and I, I, I hope that trend continues. I really do. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You guys are kind of at the forefront of that. In the PCA, at least. Yeah. Well, we're pretty young. Wouldn't you say that? I, I'd like to think so. <laughs> You're not very restless, though. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't like. I don't like that whole title. No. no, no. <laughs> well, it, let it, me let me move on really quick. The the, the next category uh, is of abuse, and I, I think, John, you remember last year I was talking <laughs> about the DASA report, the the study yeah. that came out of the PCA, and I said more than likely you'll see some overtures. Rachel Den Hollander, right? Yeah, she was she was part of that, and you'll you'll more than likely because remember, study reports are not binding on the churches, uh, but sometimes we you know, people take from those study reports and say, you know what, this would be good to implement. So we're going to send an overture up to uh, to implement this aspect of the study report or this recommendation or something like that. So we had a few of those. Um, let me just mention something though that we approved last year. Um, abuse victim protection provision and and basically basically what what this what this said this this was a, a change in our, our bco to say an, uh, an accuser does not have to testify before the accused um in our polity if someone makes an accusation they have to testify um the accused does does not have to testify they can if they want to but they don't have to um but some of the concerns was about, you know, situations of abuse. If you have someone that's accusing another person of, of you know, gross abuse or something like that, um, then they don't have right now, now as it's changed, they don't have to testify in front of the accused abuser. So whether that's, you know, they testify via Zoom or something like that and they don't have to see the, the accused abuser, whatever it is, that was approved by um, – that was approved by the Presbytery 77 to 3, and it was uh, passed almost unanimously by this GA uh, that just passed. So now that is going to go into our BCO. 
I think this highlights something though. It's, I haven't really seen it talked about on social media. Um, you know, but a lot of the stuff on, on social media now is talking about, you know, the PCA doesn't care about protecting abuse victims and things like that. Um, well, we, we just did something that protected abuse victims or potential abuse victims, right? The ones that are, are claiming abuse uh, in a trial uh, by not having them have to go through, you know, pain or uh, trauma of having to stand in front of their accused abuser and testify. So the PCA just sought to protect abuse victims uh, by not having them go through that process. And so here's here's the thing is there were a few a few other um, overtures that related to this DASA report, uh, abuse and whatnot, or, you know, some would say they were aimed issues of abuse. And they there's four, four of them, I think. And they failed. They, they I don't even most of them didn't um, or none of them were recommended by the overtures committee. There was a minority report for one of them, which was to allow atheists to testify in our courts. So we should discuss that because it's interesting. Um, but I just, but bring that one up. I just bring that one up to show, you know, we did do something to right. protect abuse victims. But, so. Right. So here's, here's what I was going to say, Sean, is unfortunately, this is the way our world works now. Um, when an assembly does a lot of, you know, conservative things, maybe turns down some progressive proposals, more progressive, there's some media out there or people that are going to slander our denomination and, you know, as if we don't care about abuse. I saw some headlines, you know, related to this. And that's just, it's just false. And it's, it's frankly ridiculous. Um, you don't have to like everything the PCA does. That's fine. But don't act like we don't care about abuse or don't take it seriously. That's just not true. There's not, uh, you know, I'm sure there's abuse that happens in the PCA it gets hopefully dealt with all the time. Um, but, you know, let's not act like there's all of this secret abuse going on. And, you know, we have all these terrible ministers in our denomination. That's just slanderous. Yeah, I just Googled it. Yeah. There's there you go. Today. The Presbyterian Church in America has an abuse crisis, too. Mm-hmm. Women thought the PCA was uh, with its robust system of governance. <laughs> Is it robust? Is that the uh, might provide some accountability? They found that was not the case. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty uh, down on you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I'm down on them, too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean, this is not a secular. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe it, now it is that, a secular media. Going back to what Zach said, the thing that frustrates me is that, you know, there with any overture, there are a whole host of reasons why people don't vote for it. Right. Um, and there, there's plenty of reasons. I can think of the main the main two that were brought up, atheists testifying uh, and then there was another one as well. Um, I, I can think of a few reasons why good men didn't vote for it. And I promise you, it wasn't because they they want abuse to, to prosper in the PCA. It's absurd and it's childish. And it's quite frankly beneath, in my mind, uh, that of a Christian to to say those things about right. other 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 Christians that we care we don't care about abuse or abuse victims. I mean, the the atheist testifying in our courts uh, overture. There was a minority report uh, put forth uh, for that, and and just the way the PCA works, we we actually allow um, people to testify in in PCA courts as long as they either either believe in God or. Uh, you know, eternal judgment. Believe in a system of rewards and punishments. Right, right. So judgment. So, so you know, it doesn't even describe 
everybody. I mean, you, you know, you could, I guess, have some false religion and you still believe in rewards and punishments and you, um, you could uh, testify. And, and, you know, this, John, you probably know this goes somewhat back to the, the civil courts. I mean, this was changed, I think, by the Supreme Court in the 60s. And, um, you know, the basis there is people who don't believe in the eternal judgment are not fit to uh, swear an oath and testify. They're not trustworthy. And, right. and so these are people that are publicly saying they don't believe in these things. So it's not just, you know, a, a practical atheist or something like that. So let me read our, our confession. This is Westminster Confession of Faith 22.3. Uh, speaking of oaths, we actually have a you know, whole chapter on this stuff. Uh, Whosoever taketh an oath ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act, and therein to avouch nothing but what he is fully persuaded is the truth. So, you know, you just think of that language for someone to take an oath and to, to, to swear that they're going to tell the truth. I mean, if they don't believe in God or judgment of some sort, then, you know, what, what good is an oath? And so, right. so that's, that, that's just part of the, I mean, that was one of the main arguments, I think, against uh, changing this and just sticking with what we had. It has nothing to do with not wanting abuse to be properly taken care of. So, well, and he, you know, yeah. And another argument was, you know, if, if you have someone that has committed gross, uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse or child molestation or anything like that, they're, they're going to be caught up in the criminal courts and, and they will hear, you know, they will get, you know, evidence, they will get, you know, rape kits or things like that, whatever it is. Um, and they will hear different testimony, uh, even from atheists. So you know, this, and again, the, the, the criminal courts, the secular uh, civil magistrate um, can back it up by threats of perjury. If you lie, right, we have the sword and we can actually uh, hold you to that. Whereas in church courts, we don't have that. We, we don't yeah. have any, any way to, to, to keep them from, from lying or, or giving, you know, giving false information. So the idea that justice will not be met or justice will not be done because the, the, the Presbyterian church in America does not allow a tiny fraction of people, atheists, um, to, to testify in its courts, um, I think doesn't take into account civil courts, um, and ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, doesn't take into account that even if justice isn't met in this life, there is ultimate justice in the hands of God. So, you know, we're not we're not omniscient. We, we, we cannot right every wrong in this uh, world. But we know at the end of the day that uh, those who get away with horrific crimes will be dealt with in the hands of a just and holy God. This is also a, uh, his, you know, the historic practice of the PCA and a lot of other churches, and nobody even had examples of where this would matter to change. So it just doesn't seem worth changing. Right. What do you think the trajectory is uh, on, if there is a trajectory at all, on, on this abuse stuff? Do you think that there's going to be changes in the future on this? Do you think people will respond to the pressure that's being imposed? I think um, I know that there's, you know, they're going to try to bring this back again. Um, and, I, and I know good men that, that voted in, in, uh, in favor of allowing atheists to testify. Uh, this wasn't a, at least in, in my conversations, this wasn't like a conservative, progressive split. You know, uh, there, there were good men that voted in favor of, of allowing. Right. 
That's I'm talking more broadly. I'm saying more broadly with the, the just the Me Too kind of agenda. Do you see it making its way in the future into the PCA since um, um, you had Den Hollander there last year? I guess she wasn't there this year. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. It's it, it seems to be the, the pressure that's being exerted. Right. So a few years ago, the pressure was more on you know, you're not being affirming of LGBT. Now the pressure seems to be this. I mean, the, the thing is, if, if they come up with a good proposal to change our rules where there's, you know, something could be improved upon and you persuade the assembly and the presbyteries of it, then I'm sure we would yeah. pass it. But these just weren't good enough proposals. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, the way it is. And so I think part of it is the PCA has a pretty good BCO, Book of Church Order. And we have church courts. We've been dealing with these things, you know, the church, its entire history. So, um, yeah, I, I just maybe maybe there'll be some more. Right, I'm going to uh, bring in uh, I'm going to bring in Sean Graham, guys, who uh, was at the the meeting uh, this year. Uh, did you guys get to meet Sean? I don't, I don't know. think so. Hi, Sean. All right. Good Sh- to meet you Sean's a, a Baptist. And so, Sean, I'm having trouble with these two Presbyterians because they don't <laughs> seem to want to like sling any mud on anyone or say anything that's not measured and they're using their NPR library voices. So Sean, <laughs> please slam all the bad guys right now for us. I don't even have a collar on my shirt. I'm not even sure how I can talk to Presbyterians right now because I, I can't put a bow tie on. This is crazy. It, it was really I will tell you this, guys. Y'all have a much more enjoyable environment than I could have ever anticipated. You guys are welcoming um, the pleasantry and the willingness of all the Presbyterian people just to explain everything because there's a lot of technical stuff there. As a Baptist, we don't have your book of rules and your remote controls for voting and all, all the stuff you all have. It was amazing to watch how orderly and pleasant it was. And I came away very impressed with the entire, with, with everybody I met there, even with all the tattoos and everything else. It was, it was great to hang out with everybody. Tattoos? What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're 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 good Presbyterians. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> appreciate your appreciate your kind words, brother. Yeah. Well, Sean, I did I did not get to meet a whole lot. Of, I was there representing. Uh, I was working with our radio station with Bot Radio, and you know we had a booth there. Got to meet so many people coming by, and I just got I, I got to sit in on some of the sessions and watch the discussion. Um, I don't know if y'all discussed the the RUF dis- the debate over that issue as, as y'all were putting that through the processes, and. It was fun to watch y'all go back and forth, and, and there's these. I mean, it's it's regimented. It's the, it's really the best way to say it. Your debates and your arguments are regimented. They're clear and they're thoughtful. Whereas with the SBC, we're just you know screaming as we go for to grab a microphone from somebody. So <laughs> it it's a different tone, a different tenor. Uh, it, it's refreshing. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for trying to convert all the Baptists who are watching to join. the Sorry, PCA. I, I um, am one, but it, I got to say it was good. Good, good, good. Sean, will, right. you be there, will you be there next year, brother? I don't, if it's a, uh, if it was in Memphis, I could say, yes, that was the reason I was there. It's cause it's here in, it was here in uh, Memphis this year. Um, so it was good in that, but it was, um, I mean, look, we're, we as Southern Baptists, we're really good at, just getting down the mud and wrestling with hogs. Y'all aren't good at that. So we're going to have to work on that and teach y'all how to, how to really get dirty, leave your bow ties at home, 
And, you know, let's take it out in the aisle a little bit here. You know, let's work this thing out so everybody can talk about it because there's nothing really newsworthy when you get done. I mean, there's no name calling. Very disappointing. Is that better? Is that better, John? Thanks, Sean. That's that's what I needed. Thank you. All right. Hey, I'll I'll see you later, brother. Thank you. All right, buddy. Good to talk to you guys. All right, so um, there's the Baptist perspective on, on what happened. <laughs> great, great perspective, brother, I must say. That's great. Okay. <laughs> so you, you concur. Um, all right, so, I mean, it sounds like everything was pretty much positive, all, all the developments, just about. I mean, it, this was a route for the conservatives. I think one of you texted me that the, this was a, a, a decisive, um, I, I guess, victory, if you really want to think about it that way. Uh, so, I mean, going forward, do you, do you expect a backlash at all? Do you do you think the trajectory is going to continue this way? What can you tell people who are members of the PCA and uh, encouraged by this? And, you know, how do you capitalize on it? You know, I, I don't know. I can't really see into the future what will happen. I think I think that the trajectory is good. I would just strongly encourage yeah, we did this last year. I mean, if you are a member of a PCA church, um, get involved, you know, uh, we aren't, you know, the church doesn't stop in our polity. The church doesn't stop with the local church. Uh, your pastor is a member of a presbytery. Your church is a member of a presbytery. Um, and there's things that go on there and there's things that go on at the General Assembly. Get involved, you know, uh, know what goes on. If your pastor has a, you know, an update, I hope your pastor gives a General Assembly update, you know, go to it and ask questions. Um I don't even think it's wrong to ask your pastor how he votes on certain things. Um, you know, get to, get to know them and uh, and know what goes on and 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 speak to, to issues that are concerning to you. Doesn't mean now it doesn't mean you'll agree with everything your pastor does. You know, and and I think you know you want to have grace. Don't um, you know respect that there might be differences, but on the big issues, you know, it's good to know where where he lands and um, and just be just be involved. Good word. Good word. Zach, you got anything? Yeah. I mean, who, who knows the future? I, <laughs> I won't comment, comment on it. Um, You're feeling good about the momentum right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this was a good, a really good assembly. Um, there, there's actually two other things we can discuss. There was a, a an overture on uh, addressing titles. Um, that's probably the one that's going to be controversial this year. Um, wait, wait, wait. We haven't talked about the controversial one yet. You've been saving that. So no, we, we actually have two, we have two more. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, All right. Spit it out. In. Tell let's me. Just jump, let's just jump in. So this is, this is uh, Overture 26. It would amend uh, BCO 7-3 um, to prohibit the titles of pastor, elder, or deacon for those who are not ordained. So in other words, if you're um, not, uh, you know, if you're on staff at a church, but you're not actually a teaching elder um, or pastor. You shouldn't be given the title pastor. And the other one, this probably applies to is deacon. Um, and that's kind of the more uh, maybe ex- explosive uh, uh, issue is the PCA. Just to be clear, there are some Presbyterian denominations that ordain women deacons, like they, they, they hold office. The PCA does not. The PCA only has male officers. So only men can be, teaching and ruling elders, and only men can be deacons. Um, now, there's been some, uh, I guess, in, in practice, this has been somewhat messy in the PCA. Um, 
I'm not aware of any churches trying to ordain women deacons, but some churches do call their women deacons. Right? And, and, and I, this can get a little complicated because um, I'm going to distinguish between deacon and deaconess. Okay, so um, where this has gotten messy is some churches have commissioned uh, female uh, deacons. So they'll commission them, or I guess they call them, they usually call them deaconesses. Um, so, you know, Tim Keller did that. He commissioned deaconesses, not ordained them. But then he even stopped laying hands on the men deacons that they ordained, which I think that was a, a BCO problem. But um, so in practice, there's there there are there are people in the PCA who want to ordain women as deacons. That 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 that, that view is definitely held. Um, but so so where it ends up a little messy is the practice. So you might go to a church church's website and they'll list all their deacons. And they might have men and women both listed in there, even though the women are not ordained. So then, you, then you're like, well, who are their officers here? Um, and so the, the practices vary. Some of them just stopped ordaining their men at all, and they commissioned the men and women as deacons, which I think is a problem. Um, there's some that uh, ordain their men, but commission women as deaconesses. They call them that, but they still list them under deacons. Um, so, so, so let me read the, the overture says the exact language is, um, furthermore, unordained people shall not be referred to as, or given the titles connected to the ecclesial offices of pastor, elder, or deacon. And so I, I think one thing to point out is that this does not address churches using the label deaconess. In fact, so this is where it gets a little complicated. The PCA allows, um, although it limits the office of deacon to men, it does allow the session to appoint assistants to the deacons. And those can be men or women, it says. And so what some churches do is they have women appointed assistants, diaconal assistants, and they call them deaconesses. So they're not, they're not really violating the BCO at all, I don't think. Though I think it's confusing, and I, I think we probably shouldn't do that, use the language of deaconess. Because then what do you call the male assistants? They don't get a title. Um, but you can see how this gets confusing, right? And I think there's definitely some work, churches working around the BCO. Um, and, and so the practice is messy. And that's what this overture, I believe, is aimed at trying to get churches to stop calling women diaconal assistants, deacons, as if they hold office when they don't and they're not ordained. So, so, so what's the, so can you use the term deaconess or not? Yes. Even I, my understanding is even, even with this overture, you could still use the term deaconess for your diaconal assistants okay. women, who, are, who are women. It's, it's just, confu you're right. It's just confusing and not helpful because, yeah. because it, it, it might, some people might perceive, okay, does the PCA have deaconesses? Because some do, but technically we, the office of deacon is only reserved for men. So it, technically they could, they could have that, but it's just, it just, it just confuses things um, uh, for people that, 
are questioning what the polity of the of the PCA is. Okay, so this was this was sent to the Presbyteries then. The, this was passed. This, this will go to the Presbyteries. Yeah. Okay, it was Some, passed. Um, I think I have the. It was passed fourteen twenty seven to four eighty one. And pretty you know, pretty good majority there. Someone yeah. says in the chat, "How about pastoress?" <laughs> I've heard of uh, some churches yeah. doing that, yeah, but yeah. well, there's even, you know, I've come across some and, and they're, they're, they're few and far between, but you know, even, even like their youth director, uh, you know, will be called the youth pastor uh, and he's not ordained. Well, I don't, I don't think they should be referring to him as the youth pastor because we have an office of elder pastor. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it just confuses things. So someone in chat is saying that he's seen in the PCA advisors who are unordained women that attend the session meetings that are on the elders page of a website. I, I don't know what he's referring to. But... Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard of this kind of thing. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they're... I don't know if this would address that, but I, I don't think that's a good practice. Mm -hmm. Well, we have um, in channel uh, Jason Whitaker, who is a PCA member, I believe. And uh, he's. Uh, I'm gonna have him join. Hey, Jason, can you hear us? I can hear you perfectly. Hey, John, how are you? Oh, you have a better mic than me. This is uh, <laughs> hard and clear. So yeah, everyone <laughs> should uh, subscribe to your uh, YouTube channel, Dear Woke Christian, uh, well, if you, you haven't on YouTube and and I'm sure other social media outlets. So uh, yeah, Jason, you've been. I think you've been here since the beginning of our stream, and you are in the PCA, right? That is correct. I am actually a deacon. I'm an ordained deacon <laughs> in the PCA, and thankfully. My church does not confuse the pool by having deaconesses or assistants. Um, yeah, I, I think it was you, Sean, that said it's very confusing. I can, I can only imagine, like, wait, my wife could be a deaconess, but I assist. Am I a deacon? Like, I can already see that problem coming up pretty quick and fast just with that, that example alone. If, if a woman could be an assistant and she could be a deaconess, but if a guy is an assistant, is he a deacon? Like that, that would just cause so many problems. That, yeah. Um, so so no, is, it, great. Go ahead. is it PCA? I mean, I'm I'm ignorant on this, I guess. But is it a PCA kind of uh, in their doctrine that, like the the I guess Gunekos, uh the the women who have these service or, or have these requirements that they have to meet in order to serve that they're not deaconesses, that they're, is there an office for that? Or what, what category does that, is that? So at my church, Smyrna Presbyterian, we don't have any of these extra roles. So there might be a lead, for example, the children's ministry. We, she's a lead, um, the young lady that's responsible for the children's ministry, and she oversees the childcare during um, Sunday morning, as well as Sunday evening worship, as well as on Wednesdays. She's just a she, I think she's called a director. I apologize. I think she might be called the, the children's director. But by no means is anybody confusing her with a role of the ecclesiastical role. Um, we have several pastoral interns in our, um, in our church that we support from RTF. They have pastoral intern roles, but nobody's called a pastor, deacon, associate pastor, minister, anything else, unless, of course, they have been ordained to do so. Well, I'm trying to understand, like, in light of 1 Timothy 3.11, right, where it's talking about qualifications for deacons, and then it just pops in the middle with, in the same way, the women must be dignified, not slanderers, but temperate and faithful. I mean, does the PCA take this as these are the wives of deacons, or what, what group is that? I'll let you go, Zach. Yeah, I, th there's no—I don't think there's any official interpretation there. 
Um, I mean, the, the typically the two, well, there's some people who say that those are deacons, right? Mm -hmm. That some people make that argument uh, that these are female deacons. Um, the PCA definitely rejects that interpretation, um, which leaves the two options. They're either um, the wives of deacons, uh, and they're mentioned because they would be serving with the, their husbands, the deacons, right. or they're just women um, assisting the, de the deacons. And of course, I think we can all agree we need women, you know, serving in, sure. in some capacity uh, in the church. And so the PCA has this provision, but it's not limited to women. So it's men, male or female assistance to the de to the deacons. Um, so that's that's how they would. So it, it leaves open one of those two options, essentially. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a good practice that we have these assistants. I think, you know, churches should should take advantage of it. And I don't think they always do. But yeah, I can see why you think this is contra I, I didn't think it was going to be controversial, really, when you brought it up, because I knew where you were going a little bit. But uh, but I can see within the PCA, I mean, I already have people are weighing in like, here's Matthew Fletcher. What about assistant pastor who is ordained? This is another PCA issue, actually. Now, there's <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's going to be a mess here if, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about like what uh, what titles are appropriate for different genders and what capacities they fill. I mean, I, everyone is in agreement that the role of pastor and the title pastor is reserved for men. Um, but I guess it gets muddier when it comes to the deacons issue. Well, and part of it also is, you know, we we are we have a constitution, our mm -hmm. church. We, we have a standard. And currently, our constitution says the officer, the, the, the officers of our church are men, uh, elder and deacon. So, to me, the issue, the, the theology, the, the theological question is important, and we can have that debate. But the way to go about that is to actually implement a change in our constitution, not try to go around the issue. And it's almost like how much of the line can I cross before I'm actually violating the BCO? Correct. Um, Interesting. I think that's part of the issue. I mean, you know, but the, but the PCA has taken a stance on that and it's in our constitutional documents. So any church that is a part of our denomination needs to abide by that and not try to go around it. Or, you know, like in the case of not ordaining any any deacons, just commissioning them, you're actually in violation of our BCO. There you, go. you don't have any ordained deacons. Um, right. So th those are some of the concerns that I think this is trying to, to mitigate. It, it, Sean, it seems like some of these problems have just arisen over time. They were never really dealt with. And now you have this kind of diverse practice in the PCA. Yeah. Maybe you've seen that too, Jason. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's kind of messy. I, I think our BCO is clear, but but this, this overture is aimed at trying to deal with some of that. Um, I'll mention one other thing, John, because you, you had a question about the assistant passer. So the way the PCA works, we have pastor you can also have associate pastor or assistant pastor so this gets a little confusing um they're all teaching elders so pastor is a proper term for them uh associate pastor is just another pastor who's on the session the reason assistant pastor is controversial is because he's not on the session he's he's appointed by the session um and so he's uh he's a teaching elder but not on the session he doesn't get a vote so some people argue well that's not biblical um, I'm not going to get into that now, but you can see where that has some controversy. So, 
Was that the other? I know there was one other thing you wanted to mention, and I know we need to land the plane here soon because uh, we've been going over an hour. Uh, was there another overture? Oh, yeah. There was yeah, one you, more good one. Uh, Zach, why don't you get into the uh, petition? This is the one you were asking about, John, earlier. Okay. So this is actually, I think, one of the best things the uh, General Assembly did here in, the, uh, in 2023 is Overture 12. And this will not go to the Presbyteries. This is a done deal um, because it's a petition. So you just needed over 50% of the Assembly, and it's done. So there was the original. This is on transgender surgeries. Um the original overture had specific language uh, for a letter to be sent to government officials uh, condemning transgender surgeries, especially on minors. But what the overtures committee did is they sent this to the, um, they recommended that the moderator, who was Fred Greco, appoint a commission to write the letter. So we don't actually know what the letter is going to look like, but it does uh, have to uh, condemn the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment procedures, especially for minors. So it must do that. We don't know what it'll look like uh, in the details, but it must do that. And that's to be sent to, I think, basically all the federal government, um, Senate, House, President, uh, Supreme Court. And then I think it's recommended to be that, that presbyteries send it to their uh, state governments. So, I mean, I think this is huge. Um, I think, you know, transgender surgeries are a terrible thing and they're, they're uh, maiming the, the body and forever. It's terrible. And um, especially for minors, right? They're under 18. We, we don't even let them go buy alcohol or cigarettes or something, but hey, they can tell their mom they feel like they're the other sex. And so, um, you know, then, then the doctor will agree and everybody goes along and they're going to give them hormone blockers or, uh, or, or, or worse do surgery. I mean, th this is terrible stuff. Right. I think, uh, so, so the debate was over whether this is permitted. The, 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 let's see the, the vote was, um, let's see if I have it here. One, 1089 to 793. So it's somewhat close and you had, you had a fair amount, uh, opposed to it. I think, those voting against it, their main argument was, uh, look, we, we all uh, condemn transgender surgeries, but uh, we don't think this is something the church should necessarily speak to. And so this brings into uh, uh, brings us to Westminster Confession 31.4, uh, which is, you know, the American version of the Confession 1787 and 88 modified a couple of things on civil government, but it did not modify this. It kept it. It says synods and councils are to handle or conclude nothing, but that which is ecclesiastical, right? So with church, synods and councils should focus on church matters. And it says they are not to intermeddle with civil affairs, which concern the commonwealth, unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary. So that's the issue is, okay, normally, the General Assembly should not get involved in civil affairs concerning the Commonwealth. Everybody agrees with that. We shouldn't be doing these statements every year on everything. Does this qualify as a case extraordinary? And I think the answer is yes, it does. This is an extraordinary uh, situation. It's a terrible evil. It's, a, it's new, and it's something that must be condemned. Now, there was some pushback even by, there was an article by R. Scott Clark. He's not even in the PCA, but he was arguing against this. 
And he was arguing that case is extraordinary, only refers to... I saw um, that. Yeah. You, it must uniquely affect the church. I think his interpretation is completely wrong. Um, he's citing A.A. A. Hodge, who's... You know, look, I like A.A. A. Hodge. But he wrote this in 1870. He's got no special insight into the Westminster Assembly unless he's quoting something from them. Uh, Clark even admitted, here's a quote, a survey of 17th century English reformed writers from the period of the assembly suggests that it means something like highly unusual. Case is extraordinary. Yeah, that's what it means. Case is extraordinary. It's highly unusual. Right, highly unusual. So that's why we voted for this. So yeah, so thanks to Clark. So sex transition is kind of unusual. I mean, very much so. Highly actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's so strange. I, I actually thought about doing a podcast responding to that article uh, when it came out. But thank you, Zach, uh, for summarizing, because now I don't need to do that. It's it so weird to me. And I, I, just, I, was, I mean, here's the thing. The church in this case, the PCA is simply calling the government, the civil government to do its job. That's all we're doing. We're saying mm-hmm. protect children and right. prote- I mean, protect everybody, pr- protect children, punish evil. Romans 13, 4. I mean, they're not doing their job. And so somebody's if, if the church never does this stuff, especially in our day and age where the, the civil government's totally out of line and, and complete rebellion against God, who's going to do it? You know, Zach, I always thought, you know, if you went to the, all the uh, divines at the assembly that wrote this document, by the way, mm-hmm. you ask them, hey, you know, do you think it's a case extraordinary? You know, the civil government right now is 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 cutting off children's genitals and mutilating <laughs> children. I think this should be something that the church should prophetically speak to and tell them to stop doing it. I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that would say, no, it's, you know, that's, we're not to meddle in those affairs. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what would be a highly unusual, like in, in the civil, like, like, is it cannibalism? Like, where's the line then? Like, you know, I guess not until they eat someone who's in the PCA that the PCA then has an interest by that logic. Last year we petitioned the government to end abortion. Yeah, uh, which you know, I mean, I, I think you, you know, abortion is barbaric. It's horrific. I think you chalk this up right with it that you're you're mutilating children uh, yeah. permanently. Um, right. I think you know b- because they because you know our culture is rebelling against the created order, or we could say, you know what, God, I know you created me as a man, but I'm a woman. I feel like a woman. I mean, you know, talk about ultimate rebellion. It's Romans yeah. one, but yeah, John, that that. That was the argument that I think prevailed. The reason this prevailed is people said, if we're not going to speak to transgender surgeries, especially on minors, what are we ever going to petition the civil government for? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the point John was making. Like, okay, what is in your mind, what is something that is, that would justify us speaking to it? If not abortion, if not mutilation of children, what, what could it be? I, I shudder to think what would actually get you to actually speak on it. So good. Yeah. Point. I'm glad. What, what is Clark or R. Scott Clark uh, part of is if it's not the PCA. He's URC he... United reformed churches. They split oh, off from the, I can't keep this straight. Christian reformed church. So, so here, I'll give it to you real quick. So, uh, so okay. there used to be just one Dutch reformed church. Mm-hmm. I think it was 1850s. They split off into the reformed church in America and which they're totally liberal today. And the, um, Christian Reformed Church. CRC, yeah. Yeah, CRC. They're, you know, they're fairly liberal, but they there's some conservative renewal. Um, in 1995, they started allowing women pastors. And uh, that's when the a bunch of churches left and formed the URC, United Reformed Churches. Ah, uh, okay. 
Gotcha. So, and that's not the the one. Um, oh goodness, what's his name now? I'm trying to remember his name. I just uh, it's killing me that I can't remember because I just had him on. You and I were talking about him, Zach, uh, about Common Grace and stuff. Um, oh no, you know he's who, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and now I'm gonna blank on him. We're um, both blanking. This Dutch, is great. D- Dutch Dutch guys, um, <laughs> and uh, they're oh Engelsma. Uh, Engelsma, yeah, 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 Engelsma, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that no that that some of that history gets a little complicated because uh, there were some debates and splits with the the Dutch, um, but no no so they differ they differ on some theology there. Um, I forgot yeah, his, yeah. his denomination's name, but so that's yeah. a different one though. Anyway, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's different. Well, we've gone uh, an hour and sixteen minutes. We should probably land the plane. Um, Zach, Sean, thank you. Jason, thanks for uh, coming thanks in for here me. at the end, and uh, you can go subscribe. Yeah, subscribe to Jason's YouTube and uh, follow Sean and Zach on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll connect soon. And, and hopefully this will be an annual tradition, I guess, of what happened at the PCA. So thanks, guys. Hey, you got it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.